Right, if you have your Bibles, uh, I nearly changed my preach then. As uh, the whole thing was going into the righteousness of God, I thought, do I pre- change my preach this morning? But no, we're going we're gonna to stick with Ephesians. Next week, can you believe it, is Advent. Wow, where has our year gone? I cannot believe it. So next week, we will be doing some stuff on Advent, but we're going to stay in Ephesians for now. So Ephesians chapter 4. As if by magic the words have appeared behind me. Let me just get myself sorted out on here and we'll begin. Do you know, that word that Kath brought about righteousness, if you can just get hold of that, it'll change your life, you know. Because I don't know about you, but for many, many, many years as a Christian, I, I struggled with an up and down Christianity thinking it was about me and whether I kept my side of the bargain. And the Lord said to me one day, he said, you know, I've paid in full. That's why I've written it on there. It is finished. It's finished. Now, I've got to walk after him. But he said, I've given you my righteousness. Do you you know how righteous Jesus is? And you get to get that. It's not just, you know, you've been forgiven. Did you ever, did you ever do anything wrong? As a, I know you probably didn't, probably. But you ever have to go and speak to your mum and dad when you were a kid and say, I'm really sorry, really sorry about that. And they said, I forgive you. And it's dealt with. But then you might go and do something again. And you think, oh, I'm back to square one. There's a place when we have to come and say sorry to God when we... And sorry to each other when we hurt each other or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. But you've got to understand you're coming from a place of righteousness when you're a Christian. Right with God. I'm a big classical music fan. I was talking to Derek this morning when we came in. You probably know that. And a lot of classical composers and a lot of classical music is all about God. A lot of church music. And people are singing it today and listening to these fantastic oratorios like the Messiah or Bach's Christmas oratorio. It's full, of the, it's full of the Word of God. And they're going, this is a wonderful melody, isn't it? And you're like thinking, do you realize what you're singing? If you ever get chance, it might not be your thing, but if you ever get chance, sit down one day and listen to the Messiah in full, in English. And you'll find the whole thing is just prophetic of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he was coming to do. And you just can't help but worship. If I listen to it, I cry. Much to my kids' chagrin when we go to concerts, just sit there with tears running down my cheeks because I can't help it. Anyway, Ephesians 4. And we're going to read the first 16 verses, and I'm in the ESV. So Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body... One spirit, 
just as you were called to one hope. And that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning that we've, we've took communion, we've feasted at the table as it were. Thank you for that righteousness that we stand in when we know you. That nothing can take away. Sins forgiven forever. Past, present, and future. What amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Father, I pray that as we look into your holy word this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words out of my mouth and you would speak through me right into the recesses of our hearts and souls. Challenge us and change us, Lord, we pray. We sit under your word, Lord. It's our authority. It's our touchstone for life. Have your way in our lives this morning, I fresh, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Ephesians, as I say, we're on chapter 4. We've finally got there. There's a bit more to go yet in the new year. But it's a letter that Paul, the apostle, is writing to that church, in, which is now modern-day Turkey. And we said before, have you been there? Have you seen it? At one place I want to go, I want to go and stand on the stones 
of that amphitheater. I want to see what it, and try and imagine what it must have been like. When you read your Bible, it's great to do that. If you want to read about how this church was started, I say, I remind you, Acts 19 and 20, you'll read about how the church at Ephesus started. And Ephesus was very much, as we've said, a very cosmopolitan city at that time. So Paul is writing to a community, a bit like us, challenged by the culture that surrounds us. And the, the thing I'd like to look at today is what on earth is the church? What on earth are you doing? Anyone ever asked you that question? What on earth are you up to? Well, the question this morning, what on earth is the church for? Is it religious club? Is it a bunch of holy rollers, Bible bashers? A place where we hide from the world? Or is it instead a bride? The bride of Christ. Paul and many other writers in the Bible talk about and describe what the church is. What is the church? What's her purpose? Does it have a purpose? You go look down our land and you see some of these cold, dark buildings. And people used to say, and they used to watch religious people going to church, and they look miserable. Have you ever seen them? Dressed up in their finery on a Sunday, walking along, and somebody once said they look like they're going to the dentist. I don't know what your experience of dentists is. And then other people would say, and when they came out of it, they looked like they'd been to the dentist. <laughs> but what is, your, what is your thoughts about the church? When we came here, which is just over a year ago, we were inducted. My friend Andrew Owen came. And it, was anyone, put your hand up if you're in the induction that night, remember? He brought a word about this place. Anyone remember what the word was? Now, I need to get it printed and put it on the wall. I'd like to. A prophetic word. He said, this place will be a maternity unit. Do you remember that? And when I speak to him, I ring him over. He said, how's it going? And people's lives, there are people in this room who've come into a new encounter of God. They've experienced God. You know who you are. But there's going to be a lot more. Maternity units are all about new birth. This church, believe me folks, we're going to see new birth. People being born again. That's what God's called us to. It's a house where people can be discipled. People don't understand what a Christian is really. Many think, well, I've been brought up in a Christian home or I've been brought up in a Christian country, haven't I? I'm all right. No. Unless you've been born again, you can be as religious as you want, but it won't get you in. It is paid in full. Jesus alone and his finished work is our entrance our, and our exit from this world. 
all about his work. There's a great book in the Old Testament called Esther. You may have read it. Israel are going through a tough time. And Esther really represents a type of the church. Israel were in a mess. And at one point in that book, it said to Esther, you have come to royal position for such a time as this. I don't think there's ever been such a key, such a time as this, as we're all living in. There certainly isn't in our lives. What a world we live in. But we have been called on this earth as a church at this time for such a time as this. Many analogies in the Bible and the New Testament about the church. Anyone want to shout out what they think? We've said a body, a bride. Can anyone think of anything else? Called? What is the church? Go on, shout it out. Everyone's quiet this morning. I'll help you. It's the household of God. It's the pillar and buttress of truth. It's the flock of God. These are all there. Acts 20, 28 says about the flock. You ever been called a sheep before? We're all God's sheep. A peculiar people. Yeah. The Greek word for church is a funny word. It's ecclesia. You've got to remember the New Testament was written in Greek. Ecclesia means called out ones. Now for many years, you know, people, you may have been or know people who were brought up in a big family and somebody went to do one thing, somebody went to do something else and usually in a big, particularly Catholic families, somebody in the family became what? Priest or a nun. And what that meant usually was hiding yourself away. Especially if you went to a monastery or you went to a convent. The idea was you'd be hidden away because you don't want to be out there in this crazy world. You want to spend time with God. You want to be different. Now I get the sentiment, but it's the complete wrong thing. We're not called out of this world to hide and wait for Jesus to come back. We're called out of this world to call the world in. God's looking for a distinct people. In many ways, the church has become too much like the world today. Spurgeon had something to say about that. C.H. Spurgeon said, when I can find it in here, in these notes, but he talked about basically... When you fail to shepherd the church, you start to entertain it. We're not here to entertain people. We're here to shepherd hearts and souls. We are the call out ones. But you've been called out of this world to call others into God's glorious kingdom. And this morning we'll look at briefly the call to be holy. Look at these verses in 1 to 7. Paul's a prisoner. 
And he says to the church in Ephesus, I urge you, that means I really strongly advise you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. It's not by chance that you're here today. God called you. When did he call you? You may have been a Christian for a long time. But I want to remind you, it was God who called you. You've been called. He called you and he won't leave you. He wants, he has chosen you. And he's called you to walk in a manner worthy of him. Look at verse 2. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. And he goes on with all those oneness. But you see, people have a funny view of what it means to walk a holy life. When I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, as I'm always telling you. But even in, I was brought up in the Church of England, and there was a lot of religion in it. So I couldn't really differentiate. It was What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to do stuff or not do stuff to be a Christian? And I had it all confused. And in my day, I think I've told you about this in the past, it was almost like a hat competition on a Sunday morning in church. Huge hats, posh clothes. And if anyone came in in any kind of scruffy stuff, everyone would kind of like, Looked him up and down. See, that was classed as being holy. Not going to the pictures. Do you know in the, back in the day, some people didn't go to the pictures? Because, well, I, I, actually, some of the stuff that's on there, I don't blame them, to be honest. But, but you know, there's some good stuff that comes on. It, it's not about not doing something. Makeup, ladies. Back in the day. Now you've got to look at the motive. These people were seeking to be right. But it becomes a law. And it becomes an expectation that everybody has to fit in. You may have been like that. I've told the story before. About the family that got together one Sunday to have a roast dinner. And grandma's watching granddaughter prepare the chicken. And she gets the chicken's legs, breaks them off the chicken, and puts them on top of it, and then wraps foil around it. And Grandma says, why are you breaking the legs off the chicken? And Granddaughter says, well, Mum taught me to do that because she said you did that. And Grandma says, yeah, but we lived in a time after the Second World War when ovens were small and we couldn't fit it in the oven. So we had to break the legs off. But it had become a tradition. That's how you cook a chicken. Not. Have you ever asked yourself why we do things? And why is it sometimes that we have a great time in God in a home setting or in an informal setting and as soon as we go into a different type of building everyone starts hushing around? Notice that? What's our concept of God's holiness? 
See, God's holiness, it isn't about those things. Back in the day, when tellies first came out, some religious people would go around thinking, because telly, I mean, that's another thing, isn't it? Flipping out with some junk on it. But there's some good stuff. It's like everything. But highly religious people in the day, when tellies first came out, would walk around trying to spot a devil's tail sticking out the chimney. The aerial. Oh, they've got a telly. What about that? Being holy means about being set apart for God. It's a word in Greek that says hagios, exclusively his. That's what it is. And when you are truly holy and living your life for Jesus Christ alone, you don't want to be doing crazy stuff. You don't want to go and get drunk anymore. Because it's really empty. And it's a temporary relief. As are all the drugs that people stick in their arms or snort up their nose. It doesn't provide the deep answers. Holiness unto God is a life given over. And when you give yourself wholly to God, all these qualities that we've looked at in these seven verses, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Have you ever had to bear with one another in love? Every day? Yeah? Conflicts, challenges. And you say, oh Lord, I'm not as far down the road as I thought I was. But we're on a journey and we're being changed. Remember that before God, you are seen as completely righteous. It's just that we're in a process in between now and then. It's a huge challenge. But listen to what Hebrews says about how we live as a holy community. Work at living in peace with everyone. This is Hebrews 12. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Wow, it's a challenge. But I thought, I thought God does it all. He's done it all. But when he comes to live inside you, he starts to change you. So the holiness of God starts to work in you. Starts to change you from the inside out. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. It's possible to, 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 to lose sight of God's grace. Have you ever had a friend or someone you know who, who maybe is not walking with God now? They're like kind of doing their own thing. And somebody say, oh yeah, Billy, they've fallen from grace. You ever heard that expression, fallen from grace? Hey, you can be pursuing God in here and fall from grace because you start to do it in your own strength. Grace is grace. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. It's a free gift. Look after each other so that no one fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Oh man, if we read that every week in church, it's so easy to take offence 
So easy. And just somewhere inside a little seed starts to grow. You've got to, you've got to root it out. And that's what this is all about. Remembering the finished work of Jesus. Jesus was a friend of sinners. But not because he winked at sin. He'd go to parties that you and I never get to. But when he went to the party, the party didn't influence him. He influenced the party. Are you distinct? You're living a truly holy life, set apart to God. Not trying to earn it. Jesus never came to bring a new religion. He came to bring a righteous relationship with a holy God. Cedric and I were talking earlier this week, and we've mentioned it a few times in here. There's a wonderful verse in Hebrews again, in chapter 10 and verse 14. It says this, For by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What a funny scripture. He's, be, he's made perfect forever those who are being made perfect. How does that work? There's two big words in the Bible that you don't hear a lot about today. One is justification. Anyone know what that means? You can shout it out. Anyone? It's a legal term. It means put legally right. That's huge. Have you ever been in a courtroom? And have you ever heard a judge bang the gavel on the desk and say, acquitted? Have you ever heard that? Or not guilty? What? The defendant then doesn't say, but, but hang on, hang on. He says, not guilty. That is where you stand as a Christian. Jesus has taken your punishment. You are not guilty. You are free. But what about... Someone's paid it for you. That's justification. That's being made right. But there's another word. It says there about this process of being made holy. That's another word. Begins with S. Anyone know what it is? Sanctification. Again, it's a set apart. It's a holy. It's a holy name to be set apart. Now that's a process. That goes on till you go, till we finish this life. It's a process of becoming more like Christ. God changing your character. Changing you day by day. You're growing. If your family or your kids don't change and grow, there's something wrong. How many know they go, you watch them go from babies to adults. It's a little bit like the Christian life. You're born, you've got a new life. 
and you grow. The sanctification process is the way you are made and shaped by God's Word, by His Spirit, by all these lovely people who are just like you, not. And they shape you. And you become changed. But that's a lifelong journey. I am not, I am far from perfect. Yeah, I'm a minister here and I preach the word. I'm perfect before Jesus, but I'm still on a journey, folks. We sang that hymn this morning, that hymn, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. Oh, John Newton. The converted slave trader. He knew. He became a vicar. But he knew, he said, I, I've st- I'm still being changed bit by bit by the grace and glory of God. And that's you and me. Don't be too discouraged if you have a tough time. Dust yourself down, stand back up and go again. Don't allow condemnation to join on you. It will. The enemy will be all over you like a rash if you let him. So then, there's a point. That's the point you become a Christian. And there's a process. That's becoming more like Jesus. We're not getting far, are we? It's nearly 12 o'clock. But look at those attitudes. The root in your life will always determine the fruit of your life. The root will determine your fruit. You're called to be holy. Verses 8 to 12, the call to equipping, comes out with all these amazing things about apostles, prophets, but it talks about Jesus ascending. Do you know now that Jesus, as I said before in the breaking of bread, he's not on a cross. You might go in a Catholic church and you see this crucifix. He ain't there anymore. He's not in a tomb anymore. He's on a throne. He's reigning. And in John 7, there's a Jewish feast that Jesus went to called the Feast of Tabernacles. Anyone heard of the Feast of Tabernacles? So what happened was in the Old Covenant, everyone went to Jerusalem, all Israel went, they celebrated the times when God took them through the wilderness. And they were in need of water. You may remember and all that stuff. And that there was a light that guided them. All these symbols are in the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up, it says, with a loud voice. And he said, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. He said, and out of their inmost being, that's on the inside of you, will flow what? Rivers of living water. And then John said, Jesus said that about the Spirit that was going to be given. The Spirit had not yet been given to everybody because what? Because Jesus had not yet been ascended and glorified. Now we live in the age of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes you born again. And he wants to fill you with gifts and his presence as you walk through this world. We can press in for healing. There's gifts of healing in this room. Some people in this room will minister in healing, I'll tell you. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. 
There'll be people in this room who can move in prophecy. What prophecy is? Hearing God for people and for situations. There's people in this room who can move in any gift you see in the New Testament. You've got to pursue God in them. Because Jesus is now glorified. This, this is the age of the Spirit. So the call to equipping is, you're not called to just kind of sit in here and come every week and sing songs and have a nice time. And my job is not to entertain you. And, tell, and as much as I love preaching the Bible, I don't just want to preach nice sermons. God's given me a job to do, and that's equip people. Not that I'm any better than anyone, I'm not. Just a call that God's given me to do, to equip people to be all you are in Christ. Encourage you to go out and be you in God. And it talks in Ephesians 4.11 about Jesus has gone to glory and the Holy Spirit has now come and we have apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers and evangelists. And there's a reason for them. Verse 12, to equip the saints, I had to look at Debbie when I said that, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. As I always say to the Wigan Warriors fans, we're all saints. A saint isn't someone who lives in a, in, a, in a church window with a plate on your head. It isn't. You know, the Catholic Church will nominate a saint when they've been dead for I don't know how long. Depending on how they lived. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible said if you are a Christian, you're saved, you are a saint. A holy one. That's what it means. So, the job of ministry in this place is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So ministry in the church is not, we do all the stuff, and everyone else just thinks, yeah, yeah, they're, they're the professionals. No. Job of ministry is to send the church to be the church with all the gift and glory of God on them. If we all stay in here, who's going, to, who's going to know about Jesus? But can you imagine if you're in your workplace this week and all of a sudden you just get a little thought comes into your head about somebody. Maybe someone you know and respect and you think, you know, I just sense something. And they said, how do you know that? Who's told you that? Well, God's spoken to me about you. Wow. Imagine if that happened to you this week. Why not? But most of us, if we're really honest, we don't expect it. Our expectancy level is quite low because we're trying to deal with ourselves all the time. Hey, change the way you think. That's the real meaning of repentance. Change the way you think. God's made you to be his servant wherever you find yourself and we are here to equip the church I want to do myself out of a job here eventually who knows what's going to happen but you we are the church it's not a building it's a people a peculiar people and the Bible talks a lot about spiritual gifts Romans 12 1 Corinthians 12 as well. 
They're all there. I haven't got time to read them all. But to be equipped, really, is to be able to function. Are you functioning as a believer? Just going to read some verses from 1 Peter 2. I said the other week when we had welcomed new members in, don't be loose rubble in this place. Commit yourself to this house. If you, if you, if you feel this is the place for you, if, if you don't, that's fine. But commit yourself because you're a living stone. And God's building a house here. Not a physical building with literal bricks. The bricks are you and I. And the cement that sticks us together is God's love. And Peter, remember the one who denied Jesus at one time and then became that great apostle, said this, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you, yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, that's Jesus, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. For those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But listen to what the, what the Bible says about us. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That was a huge statement. Because the culture in which it was written was Jew and Gentile. And in the old covenant, there was only one people of God. And do we know who that was? Israel, the Jew. But Peter's saying, hang on a minute. The gospel is for all. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You belong to God. Don't know what your background with religion was. was it, did you go to a church where the priest did everything? He read the Bible to you maybe. He prayed for you. You never did any of that. There was a revolution in the Catholic Church in the 1500s called the Reformation. When one of those within it, Martin Luther, the monk who always lived in shame and guilt and felt he, as a monk he wasn't good enough for God, one day read the book of Romans and saw that being right with God is by faith in the finished work of cross. It was like a light went on. 
he talked about the priesthood of all believers. You see, you don't need to go to a priest to confess your sins. One of my friends, as a kid, was a Catholic, and he didn't know what to say half the time, so he used to make sins up. You go to confession, sit in that little box, what do I say? It's not about that. When you sin, you go to your Heavenly Father, you say, Lord, I've sinned, sorry. really want a change in this. Please help me, give me your spirit. And you jog on. I have to go to a man. And of course, when Martin Luther announced this, it didn't go down too well. Because at that time, the Catholic Church had this other idea. About, have you heard of purgatory? It doesn't exist, you know. There ain't no place you're going to go to to be made a little bit more right. You're made right now. But they taught that they had this idea to make money. And they said, I know, a guy called Tetzel. He said to the Pope, I've had an idea. We can make a bit of brass here for the church. Oh, what's the idea? Well, we tell everybody that if they pay us, you as the Pope, will get Auntie Mary out of purgatory quicker. Good idea. It was called plenary indulgences. And they even had a little rhyme that said, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Wow. And Martin Luther suddenly said, this can't be right. If the Pope's got all that authority, why isn't he doing it for free? Do you know what? Sadly, it's in the church today. And it creeps into the Christian church. Give us all your money and you'll be healed. Anyone heard that one? Oh, ouch. Send me all your money, you'll be healed. I'm just going to go and get in my Merc and drive off to my million dollar house. That's not the gospel, folks. Freely you have received. Freely give. I don't know how I got into that this morning. But you see how the church can go off kilter? And how it's gone off kilter? We're about the gospel. You're called to be holy. You're called to be equipped. And you're called to mature. I'm not going to go into that this week. We'll do it another week. But if you live for Christ, you live a holy life, and you allow God to shape you and equip you, you grow up. If you don't eat, you will fade away. If you don't breathe, you'll cease to live. Eat the word of God. Get this into your heart. You know, we want to try and make it so you can understand. God's called you. But he's called you to walk worthy of what he's done. And what that means is, this is another bit of an oxymoron. The gospel is the free gift. Your salvation is absolutely free. But your life, it'll cost you everything you've got. Because it's a life over to God. When he becomes your king, 
you get off the throne. You can't have one cheek on the throne. It's either him and him alone. That's the Christian life. Called to be holy, called to be equipped, and called to mature. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that, Lord, we're all on a journey to become more like Jesus. But I do thank you, Lord, that our entry point and our acceptance isn't by what we do, have done. I thank you that salvation is a free gift. That, Lord, all our guilt, all our shame, all our sin was placed on the Lord Jesus 2,000 years ago on a cross of Calvary. And I thank you, Lord, that you chose us before we were even born. How does that get to be? I don't understand it. But I know that you chose me, but I chose you. What a mystery. But Lord, you put your hand on our lives. I just pray that, Lord, today, for someone in here, they'll yield. They'll yield to you. They'll give up trying to make themselves right and accept the free gift of grace. And from there, walk after you. Lord, make us a people who are distinct and shine with your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.